Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Thank you for joining us. It is good to be together. For those of you that have been with us, either online or in person, for the last uh, several weeks, we've been doing a series on the book of 1 Peter. And I've got the privilege of, of kind of wrapping this series up with 1 Peter chapter 5. In this book, we've seen, uh, we've titled the series, Encouragement for the Scattered. And we saw at the beginning, Peter talking about encouraging those who felt scattered or who were in situations where they were scattered. He used the words alien or sojourner, the ones who don't quite fit in. We've also heard encouragement for those who are suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5, today he, Peter sort of tugs on the thread of or highlights the issue of humility. Humility is kind of an interesting thing. Some of you may have heard this, other several people have said it, but one of the ironies about humility is that as soon as you're really glad you have it, you no longer do. It's gone. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite uh, quotes on humility comes from C.S. Lewis. He writes in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself It's thinking about yourself less. Another quote that I came across said this, people always are looking for humility. Whether it's fake or real, they don't really care. And it goes on, the truth is you don't have to teach a humble person how to be himself thought about that. I think that might be true. Pride is one of the ways, pride encourages us to put on a mask. I don't want people to know who I really am. I don't want them to know what I really look like. I want to present to them an image that's really not me. That's the mask we wear. And it's so common in our culture as people work to curate an image of themselves. They try and bolster their own uh, image, whether it's in person or online. We hear a lot of people talking about branding themselves. This is my image. It's the mask we wear. Humility forces us to shed the mask. It forces us to be who we really are. And it seems to me at some points in time like like humility is a dying trait in our culture. Although maybe, as I look around, I see a lot of people talking about humility. Maybe it's not a dying trait. Maybe by God's grace, there's hope 
that humility is recovering from a near-death experience. Either way, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 5. You can read along, starting with verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us. Would you work in our hearts and our minds your will and your purpose? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've seen a statistic a couple of times lately. Uh, I don't know if I trust the, t- the statistic. It comes actually as a part of a commercial. So... We'll take it for what it's worth, but the statistic says this, over 75% of Americans say they have had above average amount of anxiety this year. Can you relate? No surprise, really. I mean, it's, it's no news to anybody that this year, there have been several things going on this year that can cause anxiety. I have a feeling that if 75% said they've had above average anxiety, the other 25 are saying, I was off the charts before the year started. (laughs) I thought about what makes us anxious, and I couldn't answer for you, so I thought, what makes me anxious? A lot of what makes me anxious are things that are outside of my control. Things, things I can't fix all by myself or maybe even things I 
don't even know how to influence. Uh, For example, maybe you find anxiety after seeing the results of the election. Maybe a candidate at the local level or the state level or the national level, there was a candidate that you thought that should be it. And then you got the result and you went, that wasn't it. Or maybe the person you voted for did get elected and now you've got anxiety about that. If you're like me, maybe you watch other people make decisions and they cause you anxiety. It's like, oh, that's going to turn out bad. Oh, man, what can I do? Is that, that, and I have no, no way to react to that. Uh, I, I grew up on a farm and the weather caused us anxiety. Right? First we had too much rain, then not enough. Then too much again, then not enough. Then it's too dry and then it's too hot and then it's not hot enough. And I can't control the weather, but I can fret about it. That's one of the skills I learned on the farm. Maybe there's a virus that causes anxiety because you have no control over how it works and where it goes and and what it does. For whatever reason, there's been a long history of people giving, writing self-help books about anxiety. I haven't read all of them. Honestly, I haven't read very many of them. I don't doubt that they give good tips and tricks and techniques on how to deal with anxiety. But one of the places I know lots of people go is to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Several weeks ago, we had confirmation and I came to the confirmation service and, and several of the confirmants came up and they said, this is my verse. This is the scripture that I hold on to. It's good scripture. But as I was looking at this a little more closely, I recognized that verse 7 is connected in a real uh, intricate way to verse 6. In fact, in most translations, it's a single sentence. And I know the Greek, sometimes punctuation is a little bit tough to to figure out. But if you look at verses 6 and 7 together, it says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. If you take those, those independent or those dependent clauses out of there, it just says, humble yourselves, therefore, casting all your anxieties on him. There's a connection between casting our anxieties on the Lord and humbling ourselves. Or to borrow his language from a couple of verses before, putting on humility or clothing ourselves with humility. There's a connection there. Let me use an illustration. When I see the word cast or casting, the first image I get is an image of fishing, right? Maybe you are the same way. You hear the word cast and you're in the boat or on the dock or on the shore, right? We cast, put the lure on the end of the line and we cast it. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, what do we do as soon as the bait or the the lure hits the water? 
And what do we do? We start reeling it in. Because we need to control that that we've cast off, right? We reel it in and we bring it back and we look at it and go, well, it doesn't do any good sitting here in the boat. And so we cast it back out again. Only to repeat the same pattern. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's an image of how I cast my anxiety on the Lord. Cast it off. And then almost immediately regain control as quickly as you can. There's something about casting our anxieties on the Lord that's connected to humility. As I clothe myself with humility, I look at it and I say, this stuff that I'm anxious about, Lord, I can't control it. Here, you take it. And almost as quickly as I tell him to take it, I start pulling it back into my own control again. In essence, I'm saying, here, Lord, you take this. Well, wait, maybe I got this. I think I know. I I can do some of this, Lord. I'll get to working on it, and I'll let you know. And pretty quickly, I go, no, I can't. Maybe you can't relate, but It looks that way for me so often. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. The clothes of humility are not the clothes of, Lord, I think I can get this. I think I'm okay with this. The clothes of humility look like, Lord, I can't do this. You take it. Cast my anxieties on the Lord and cut the line. Pride says, Lord, I'll give this to you, but I'm going to keep working on it if that's okay. I think think maybe I can get this right if I keep trying. Are you okay with that? All right. The clothes of humility say, Lord, I can't, but you can. There's a second part of this passage that that Peter connects with humility. It's in this same paragraph. And it says, resist the devil. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. The devil has a particular taste for human flesh. Like a lion that can't wait To devour me, he's prowling around looking for an opportunity. And then Peter says, resist him. Picture that. Picture a hungry, prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And one of us, any of us, picture us standing up going, I'll resist him. It's, it's, it's laughable. It's ridiculous that I could resist a, pro, a prowling lion. I can't. It's why Peter tells us, as he's leading into this, to put on humility, to put on the clothes of humility, because if I try and stand on my own, I'm going to be consumed. 
Remember, the clothes of humility say, I can't, Lord, but you can. I can't resist the prowling lion, but Lord, you can. Stand in my place. I can't get rid of my anxiety. I can't fix the things that make me anxious, but Lord, you can. And the hardest thing of it all, for me, and maybe for you, for so many of us, the hardest thing of all is not to bring it immediately back under my own control. I do have to give you a couple of cautions. There's two mistakes that I think we can make if we read this and aren't careful. And if we don't look at it in the light of the rest of Scripture, for one thing, sometimes we can look at this, cast all your anxieties on the Lord and think it's passive. Like, okay, Lord, here, you got my anxiety. I got an iced tea in a football game. You know, I'll check back later. Sometimes God asks us to do something. It doesn't mean it's back under our control again, but this casting our anxieties on him is not passive. It's not like a one-time deal, okay, that's it, it's over. It's clothing ourselves. It's what we continue to do. It's what we continually are, is dependent and reliant on God. The second reaction that might not be so accurate. Pride tells us that our pride tells us that we're unique among all of the people who are involved in this living out the Christian life deal. Our pride sometimes tells us that Our difficult temptation is kind of ours alone. And man, why do I have to put up with this terrible stuff? It's like we would love to believe that for the prowling lion, we are particularly tasty. But we're not. Peter says, recognize this, know this, that the same kind of suffering that you're dealing with right now are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Our suffering, yours and mine, are not so different from the others out there. And when I tend to believe that, It's my pride, typically. Humility says, God, I can't, but you can. And I know you've dealt with this in millions and millions and millions of people throughout the generations. You can deal with it in me as well. So, if you're to the point where you think the hungry, prowling lion is about to take you down, or you're dealing with the kind of anxiety that threatens to overwhelm you. Peter includes verse 10. 
And after you'd suffered, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's who God is, and that's what God does. I can't, but he can. When I feel particularly broken, he will restore. He will restore. Not he might restore. Certainly he can restore, but the promise here is he will. When I feel broken, he will restore. When I feel unsure, he will confirm. When I feel weak, he strengthens. And when I feel uprooted, when I feel like my foundation has fallen away, when I feel like I've got no place to stand, I've got no footing on a, on a slippery shore, I've got no footing on a difficult spot, he will establish That's what he does. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then Peter finishes up in verse 11. He kind of finishes where he starts. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. To him be the dominion. The dominion means everything's under his domain. It means he's got this. He's in control. We recognize, Lord, you not only can do this, but you are doing this. To you, God, be the dominion. Forever and ever. Not just this morning. Not just this past week, but this coming week. Not just this past month, but the next month. Not just this past year, but in 2021. Lord, to you be the dominion forever and ever. Because that's who he is. And that's what he does. Let's pray. Father God, do your work in us. Give us the courage to cast our anxiety on you and leave it there. Give us the courage to trust in you when we face the prowling lion. Give us... Lord, give us restoration and confirmation and strength and establish us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.